We're starting a new series just for a few weeks. Here, give her a hand. <laughs> Entitled Excess Baggage. And uh, in Matthew 11, verse 28, in the New Living Translation, and many of us are familiar with this passage of Scripture, it said, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy, uh, weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are weary and are carrying excess baggage, is another way you could put it, and I will give you rest. I, I travel a fair amount, mainly domestic, and I, I love destinations. If I do go overseas, I love meeting new people. I love trying out all sorts of food, finding out about the history, the culture of the place and all the rest of it. But I have an increasing dislike for planes and terminals. I mean, right there, there's a problem. You arrive at a terminal. What's that say about flying? But anyway. <laughs> and my goal is to get into the Qantas Club as quickly as possible uh, through security, which is becoming increasingly exciting and challenging, and you almost feel like you've got to strip down to, no, we won't go there, but um, to, just to get through so the thing doesn't beep and go off. And, and then you, you, I, I want to rush to the plane, and when the plane lands, I, I, my seating preference is aisle as near to the front as humanly possible. And it's kind of like if there's four people ahead of me, which it usually is because that's business class and I'm just behind it, uh, trying not to live in envy for most of the flight. But it's kind of like, move it, you're at the front of the plane, get off the plane. And, and so the, the, to facilitate that, I, I try not to check baggage. Now, Linda and I travel uh, quite a lot together as well, and, and we good travel buddies, but not in airports. Um, and, and I want you to feel my pain a little bit the, the, this morning, because when we in the terminal going to the plane or getting off the plane, it feels like it's a supreme test of patience. It's like God uses that to stretch, increase, and put pressure on my patience level. Because this girl who can power walk every single day seems to slow down when she hits an airport. I, I just don't get it. And I, I'm sort of going, making shorter steps, trying to, and she just doesn't catch up. I, I walk slower, and it's still she just doesn't catch up. And I've come to the conclusion that she's just been very respectful and walking 10 paces behind me like a dutiful wife should. Whoa, that sparked some of you up right there. <laughs> but it's my impatience. It's my, I want to rush everywhere to wait because that's really what you do in these situations. And so to minimize airport time, I try not to check uh, a baggage and, and do carry-on. But seemingly, so does the rest of the world. And it's amazing, more and more people carry more and more carry-on, despite aeroplane regulations. And even yesterday, catching a flight back from Melbourne with Linda and I, when we got on, just like everything's full, I had to put bags halfway up and down the plane just to get them on, because people are so inconsiderate about how much excess baggage they carry, unless I get there first, in which case it's their problem. 
And people who travel with backpacks are going to be judged severely. Because they get bigger and bigger, and they have no idea that they are now three times the size of the person they think they are. And they always bang. And on planes, they turn around. Where's space? Bang, bang, little old ladies flying around, head wounds, all sorts of things. And you just want to go, I want to smack you. Get that thing off, carry it like a normal human being, and just be aware of how much space you are taking up. But the truth is... We all carry excess baggage in our lives, every single one of us. And Jesus, speaking to our hearts, says, Come to me, all of you who are weary, tired, and you're carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I guess the question needs to be asked to some extent, because we all do carry excess baggage, and if you're not sure, just ask the person closest to you. I don't mean just geographically in this moment, but people close to you, they'll tell you, if they're honest, your excess baggage, and you'll be surprised just how much you're actually carrying. You think you're traveling light through life, but most of us aren't. And what are you carrying this morning that should not be a part of your journey that is just excess baggage? And where did that excess baggage come from? I want to give you a few things. And I'd like you to just reflect them. Instead of dismissing and think, oh, that's so-and-so and that's so-and-so, just ask, is that me? Is that one of the bags that I'm carrying? The first one is unfulfilled expectations. We expect one thing of life, we expect one thing of people, we expect this response from God, from life, from people, and we get something totally different. We haven't necessarily voiced that expectation, we've just got it, and we assume God and everybody else knows what that expectation is. That thing that is going to make us so happy, and how inconsiderate that people don't recognize it and do it. Proverbs 13 and verse 12 speaks to this issue of unfulfilled expectations. It says, hope deferred, one translation says, unrelenting disappointment makes the heart sick. Just think about that for a moment. Hope deferred, that thing that I expected, because hope expects something. It puts a, a claim on something. It, it, it gets yeah, it, you excited about something. and says, hope deferred, or the other phrase, unrelenting disappointment. See, some of us can roll with it for a while. Oh, that didn't happen, that didn't happen. And then suddenly, you suddenly think, this is never going to happen. And this unrelenting disappointment, I expected that, I was looking for that, and it didn't happen. And it says it actually makes your heart sick. And some of us are walking around with an area of our heart that is sick because of an unfulfilled expectation. If you think this is not your excess baggage, let me just suggest if there's regular Anger in your life. Maybe you don't even express it. Maybe you've learned to bottle it up, and that's another bag you're carrying. But this kind of suppressed anger, this frustration with people, with life, and you may be too nice to voice it, but it's there. That is directly connected to a sick heart where hope has been deferred, where expectation has not been realized. 
And I think sometimes our own expectation of this world and life and even of God and Christianity adds to this problem. And I need to be very careful here because God is good. God answers prayer. But we often put a demand on this life. We want God to make this life heaven rather than looking forward to heaven. We want everything instantly in this world to be made perfect. Heaven on earth. Now that's not what God said. And I'm going to be careful not to go on too much of a tangent on this, but just to understand that the Scripture says, in fact, Jesus said in John 16 and verse 33, in this world you will have trouble. Capital T, capital R. No, I won't go there. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus says don't walk through life expecting that nothing wrong is going to happen to you, that things are not going to be disappointing, that you're going to face some challenges that really you weren't prepared for, you didn't volunteer for, and some of it may be, yeah, you contributed, but a lot of it is just other people did stuff or God didn't act quick enough in your estimation. The second thing is untreated pain. And this is such a big one in so many of our lives. We pretend we're okay when we're not. And I know there's some things that happen that are easy to shake off. And it's, it's difficult to say it's this thing or that thing because it's often your personality. I find in my own life there are some things that are fairly big by anybody else's standard. I think, oh, that's all right, I can get through that. And there's other things, and they're often the little irrit. It just bugs me. And hurts me, and you know, and we're all different. I'm not saying you like that. And no doubt there are people here that have faced some very real pain, whether the pain of rejection in a divorce or in a breakdown, the loss of a child, or any number of things. I'm not trying to guess at things or stir something up. That, but I'm simply saying that this issue of untreated pain. Jeremiah 6 and verse 14 this is what God speaks about the nation of Israel that's in a lot of trouble at this point in their history. And it says, they offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurances of peace when there is no peace. But just listen to that. They offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. And there's some of us that are deeply wounded that are rarely in pain about something. And well-intending well people, people who love you and are care for you, have said, do this, do that. And at best, it's a superficial treatment. You really need to have an appointment with the divine surgeon, not just a well-intended friend. And if something in your life needs healing, and it kind of ties in with what Chrissy shared so wonderfully this morning, is bring it to Jesus. Look at him. Don't pretend that it's okay. Don't pretend. Uh, uh, the message translation of that same verse is so brilliant. Jeremiah 6.14 in the message. My people are broken, shattered, and they put on band-aids saying, it's not so bad, you'll be just fine, but things aren't just fine. How powerful is that? And if you've got that going on in your life, well, then you need to say, that's one of the bags I'm carrying that I really need to sort out this year with Jesus. A third one is unresolved yesterdays. Unresolved yesterdays. When we delay in dealing with things that really need to be dealt with. 
And, and this is always a challenge because it usually involves other people. And it's sometimes hard to force something to be resolved with somebody else when they don't want to resolve it. And I recognize it and I acknowledge it, but I still think there's a biblical way of dealing with that and bringing it to a place where at least before God, you've dealt with it to the best of your ability. Even if the other person is still pushing you away, still not acknowledging that there's even a problem, perhaps. You see, things are going to happen. Have you ever noticed that in life stuff happens? And that's not the problem. We think that's the problem. If that didn't happen, I'd be fine. If that didn't happen, I'd be a lot more whole. Yeah, yeah, we know, but it did happen. And how do you cocoon yourself to make sure stuff like that never, ever happens again? You can't. And I'm not being trite or frivolous about some of the very painful things that have happened in people's yesterdays, but it happened. And pretending and wishing that it didn't happen is not going to help the situation that the problem is usually that you don't deal with that thing promptly and it drags on. Listen to this principle out of Ephesians 4, verse 26 to 27. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and don't give the devil a foothold. Anger is sometimes an appropriate response to a situation. The Bible says don't ever be angry. None of us could live up to that, and it wouldn't be expected of us, not even by God. There are some situations, and I'm not talking about something trivial like a driver cutting you off as irritating and frustrating and as much as some of us mouth off about that. Not, not me, but you. And uh, <laughs> never, never. But, but anger is sometimes the first response to a sense of injustice, to pain. And we need to acknowledge, well, that's telling me, that anger is actually telling me something is wrong, something needs addressing, something needs fixing. And it doesn't say, yeah, don't be angry. It says, in your anger, don't sin. There's a difference. It's actually acknowledging you can get angry at times, and it's actually a human response and an all right response. But when you're dealing with anger, don't let it become a weakness. Don't let it become something that traps you. Don't let it become sin. And his advice here is do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And this amazing statement, and give no foothold to the devil. There's something about things that are unresolved out of our yesterdays that are signaled by anger, flagged by anger, that if they're not dealt with promptly, actually gives the devil a foot in your life. It opens the door just a little bit to him being able to mess with things in your mind, in your emotions that spill over into your circumstances. Often in marriages, this is one of the great destroyers of good relationships. Things that don't get talked through, talked about, followed through. I remember when, just before we got married, Kevin Brett, who's one of our elders, spoke at uh, a family camp or youth camp, and he spoke on relationships. And he and I were actually just smiling about this the other day. He, he talked about a principle that he and his wife Marilyn employ, that if they have a to-do about something, they never go to bed until it's resolved, based on the scripture. 
That's the commitment. We will sort this out. Now, I think we need to be wise with that. I think the principle is great. But some couples, late at night, sleepy, you don't help the argument at all. But I think making a decision that we will talk about this tomorrow morning, we will sort this. We're not going to just pretend it didn't happen and it just become part of the baggage we carry around, the backpacks that we bump into each other the whole time and then go, nothing, it's nothing, you know. And so Linda and I agreed that that was a great principle. And I didn't realize how soon in my married life I was going to have to confront that issue. Not her, me. Because when we came back from honeymoon, the, the unit that we had rented wasn't quite ready. And we were good friends and slow with Brian and Bobby Houston. And they had a house without kids at that time. We're talking about a long time ago. And so they said, come and stay with us. And I got trapped in this enormous man-woman bear trap one night. We were watching the footy. That, that is, Brian and I were watching the footy, me newly married. And Linda said, I'm going to bed, which was, would you like to come with me? Don't get all silly on that. Just, it was bedtime. It was late. It was a replay of a game. That wasn't that important. And I even suspect we knew the result. And Brian made this little snide comment to the effect, a real man would just watch the footy. <laughs> and so what does the real man do? He gives in to the advice, the foolish advice, of his friend. And the bedroom we had in the house was right next to the lounge room. There was only one door in and out. I saw Linda go in. And so after a suitable time of me proving my manhood to Brian, which was the real important thing in that situation, of course, excuse the sarcasm, I went into the bedroom and the bed was empty. And I thought, she went in. Where did she go? What happened? I'm kind of thinking, did she climb out the window? Had she run away? I, I just was like, and so I'm walking around the bed and there she is lying next to the bed because she was not going to go to bed angry. It didn't say anything about not going to sleep angry, but as we are not going to bed angry. And by and large, we have lived to that principle. I wouldn't say perfectly, and, and, but it's, we're going to talk about this. Even when I don't want to talk about it, we talk about it, and she's right. Come on. There's some things in your life you just need to deal with. You, you've been putting off excusing, justifying why you shouldn't have that conversation, deal with that thing, and it's just become excess baggage. A fourth one is an unhealthy view of self, uh, a poor or inaccurate view of yourself. And if I were to pick, I, I have moments with probably all of these just like you, but if you want to pick one that is my weakness, it's that. I, I know it shatters you. As your pastor, you think that walk on water in my spare time. And that one actually gets me more than anything else. If people near me, there are some people who are near me who can just trigger that issue in my life quicker than anybody else. And don't look at Linda. She has done more outside of Jesus to strengthen that area of my life than anybody else. And I'm very, very grateful for that. 
But this whole thing of just a poor sense of self-esteem, a, a wrong way of seeing yourself, and many of these things, and I don't want to do pop psychology here, but go back into incidents. Like I know there's one in my life that I laugh about now, but it actually still has a little bit of a hook. I'm the eldest child, I've got two younger sisters, and they seemed like they got all the brains, and I didn't even get the brawn with it, you know. And I can remember with, at home, my mum was an enthusiastic teacher of things and I'm very grateful that's one of the things that, that there's hunger to learn to know things I'm so thankful to mum for that but I can remember having the, these big pictures and trying to teach us Afrikaans growing up in South Africa and I s still don't have a great head for language I love the English language but any other language just confuses me and I can remember the whole thing was she'd go through the whole thing pointing to it and say dit is which means this is and then give you the Afrikaans word us, this is, and give you the Afrikaans word, and do the whole thing. And then she'd point to the thing, that is dit, which means what is this, okay? And my two sisters go, I know, I know, and they would go, and my, my, the middle one, who's the, I think the brightest out of all of us, would spill it out and often tell them, and mum would even say, Daryl, stop it, Sean, that is dit. And because I'm just going there, I'm happy for them to answer. Can I just hide in the room here? Because I have no idea what did this. I just no idea what, whatsoever, you know. And um, in a hundred lifetimes, I'm going to go. And I can remember the panic in my heart. I mean, it wasn't like mum was being brutal or wrong, but just the sheer panic in my heart. I don't know what it is. And then my sister, Annie, I know what it is. I know what it is. I know what that is. I'll smack you with what it is in a minute, you know? And, and, and just being totally humiliated under that point of pressure and seeing that recur at school when I had to give a speech or I can remember the first elders meeting I sat in in Pastor Frank Houston's church and so choked with emotion that I could hardly speak. And it all goes down to the sense of, I can't do this, I'm not competent, I'm not up for this. And it's a lie, it's just not true. It's about different gifts and abilities. And many of us carry such a distorted view of who we are based on performance or on a failure that sticks out somewhere in our life, a significant point where we perceived we failed, often connected with embarrassment. And we live with it, and it becomes the thing that defines us and shapes us to an extent. But listen to Romans 12 and verse 3, which comes out to the Apostle Paul saying, present yourself, just give yourself to Jesus. And he says, and I love this out of the message, the only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and we do for him. Wow. I would encourage some of you to just take that verse home with you and live in it for a while. Speak it into your life. Get a hold of it. Use it to renew some of your thinking and your attitude and your approach to some stuff. I need to move on. The next one is unconfessed sin. And I don't want to major on this, but every single one of us knows when we've done something wrong, the pang of conscience and guilt and the sense of separation and alienation from God that comes from all of that, wanting to justify and excuse and often blame others for it. But David 
committed some fairly major sin apart from just the average sin that most of us would probably get caught up in. And in Psalm 32, and he actually comments on this on a number of Psalms, I'm just picking on one, when he's struggling and he's coming back to God and he's working through what he's done in committing adultery, organizing a murder, lying about the whole thing. In Psalm 32, verse 3 to 4, he said, when I refused to confess my sin, notice there was a choice there. It's not I didn't know I'd sinned, I know it I'd sinned, but I didn't want to acknowledge it, I didn't want to confess it, I didn't want to deal with it. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. And then comes this little Hebrew phrase, Selah. Pause, think about that. Just give that a bit of thought time. What happens when you carry stuff that you know is wrong, that you don't really want to fix, that you're excusing yourself from God and all the rest of it, that that is a bag that you carry. It's a bag of guilt. It's a bag of condemnation. Not coming from God, but from your own heart, your own conscience. And then there's the last one I just want to touch on. We're talking about some of the excess baggage we pick up. Is other people's baggage. I'm amazed at how often people, as if they don't have enough of their own excess baggage, pick up other people's baggage, other people's offense. Well, one of the great challenges is when you have checked baggage and you're now picking it up and you hope it's actually been delivered uh, to the right airport, the right nation, it is getting in the right bag. And some of you remember that last year, the Pan-Asia Conference that we hosted for our missionaries and workers and, and uh, contributing churches in Thailand in August, and you're welcome to come along to that. But Linda's bag got lost, and they lost it, I think, for three or four days. And so uh, she finally got it literally the day before we left. And I went on somewhere else, and she came home. And she's got quite a distinct bag. It's, on, it's this one. It's quite distinct. Not many people have it. And so she finally lands at Canberra Airport, sees it. Now, normally, Linda checks every single tag on the bag to make sure it's hers. This time, it's my bag. They got it. Took it. Got home and found it was somebody else's bag. I get a phone call in Cambodia. Sir, we're trying to contact your wife. She's picked up somebody else's bag. Do you know where she is? So it was a bit of fun time. But we can pick up other people's baggage. We don't know the whole story. We don't know the whole circumstance. They may be succussing because they're looking for a bit of sympathy and, and help and often genuine just need somebody's. But we get offended on their behalf and we've only got half the story. You know, and the Bible says you're foolish if you... Listen to half a story and believe it to be the fact. But Jesus in all these things, whether we're talking about unfulfilled expectations, untreated pain, unresolved yesterdays, the unhealthy view of ourselves, unconfessed sin, or other people's baggage, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, excess baggage, and I'll give you rest. And in a sense, and I know this is not a perfect illustration, we've got to learn how to check our bags with Jesus. I, like I said, I try to avoid checking bags because it just means I've got to wait at the carousel with other people who get in my way while my bag is coming. And even if I get priority baggage, it always seems to be, that's a sign to baggage handlers make this come off lost. 
you know, that's the feeling. And I, you know, so I try. But, but wouldn't it be great if we could literally go to a baggage carousel in church and the person on the side is Jesus and we say, I want to check this bag and I'd like you to lose it. I don't ever want this excess baggage back. If somehow that you could pack a suitcase at home of all the pain and all those things that I've just talked about, and there may be a few other excess baggage things, if you could just pack a single bag and say, I'm checking it, please, Jesus, act like Qantas and lose it. How good would that be? How good would that be? I shouldn't pick up Qantas. They are very good to me. How good that be? You could just check it. And I want to just talk about how we check our baggage. Not that when we get to heaven, Jesus says, here's your bag of rubbish back. It's checked, it's lost, it's gone. And the key thought in this is 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 5. He says, it is true, we live in the world, and we do not fight from worldly motives. The weapons we use in our fight are not the world's weapons, but God's powerful weapons, which we use, listen to this phrase, which we use, God's powerful weapons, which we use to destroy strongholds. The next statement, we destroy false arguments. Notice, destroy strongholds, destroy false arguments. We pull down every proud obstacle that is raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to make it obey Christ. Now, I want us to catch something here. The majority of the excess baggage we carry, we carry because we believed a lie. I want that just to sink in. The majority of the excess baggage we carry, we carry because we believe a lie about something or it's a distortion about something. The term stronghold here is that thing, literally, and I'm not trying to be oversimplistic, that is a stronghold on you. I acknowledge one that has a stronghold on me that I've got to keep fighting and, and I've got better at it, but it can still get me sometimes. And the Greek word there literally means a dungeon, but it goes further than that. It describes a prisoner who's locked in by deception. It's kind of like that literally you're in this mountain fortress prison. That, that's the stronghold picture that is inferred in the Greek. But you're now in this, this fortress, in a prison. The door's shut, but the keys are in the door, but you don't notice the keys. There's something to unlock it. You can actually get out, but you're trapped in it because you either don't believe the keys will work or you didn't see the keys. And so you're a prisoner by deception. It's not real. It's, it, it, there's actually a way out. And we live in life by something that is not true. And most of the baggage we carry is not based on reality, but on a lie. And the baggage seems so real. But often the truth of it is it's based on a lie, a distortion. And here's the key thing, it's not who you are in Christ. It is not who you are in Christ. So what's the solution? 
The, the key thought, he says, we demolish strongholds, we demolish arguments. If we had time to interview every single person and you had the courage to publicly acknowledge what your primary piece of excess baggage is, we would be able to unpick and uncover what is the distortion, what is the lie that you've believed that allows you to keep carrying that bag. And then you've got to learn how to demolish that argument of not what happened because it happened, of not how you feel about it because that's the way you feel about it, of not how you think about it because that's how you, but beginning to demolish the argument that brings you to that point where you're picking up that excess baggage. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, this principle of addressing what goes on in your thinking about what you believe about yourself, your circumstance, is throughout the Bible. And we're going to look at every single verse now. No, we're not. We're just going to look at a few. Listen, and some of us know these verses. But I'm going to ask you this year as we go into this year, and when it comes to a place where we really just come to the simplicity of our sure foundation is none other than Jesus Christ. This is about getting rid of some of these bags and letting Jesus become the very core, the center of what we're on about. Romans 12 and verse 2. In the New Living Translation, it says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It's the same core thought. I'm destroying an argument that, from God's perspective, is a lie. It may have happened, but it doesn't define who I am. I may feel it, but it doesn't define who I am. And I recognize because of what happened or because of what I feel or because of what other people say to me, that's often how we define who we are. I'm believing this lie, and I've got to change that. Change the way I think. He says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. How about Ephesians 4, verse 22, 23? He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, and then it talks about putting on the new self. Well, how do you do that? It's in your thinking. He says, be made new in the attitude of your minds. Now, there's a little, little tweak on it. It's not just renewing your mind, but the attitude of your mind. Because some of us know what we should be thinking, but we've got a bad attitude about what we should be thinking. It's too hard. Why do I have to keep fighting the same battle over and over again? Why is it that this excess bag just seems to be able to redirect my life quicker than anything else? What is it? And I'm tired. I don't want to do it. Well, there's the attitude of your mind that re needs renewing. Jesus put it so simply. He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, now don't read that as simply, if I get enough knowledge, I'll be free. That's not what the word know means there. It means to know intimately, to know by experience. And if we were to do justice to the phrase, it would be better that we said it's people who know and practice what they know who are set free. It's not just, all oh, I heard that 20 times this year in a sermon. I know it. No, 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 no. What are you doing with what you know? Are you engaging with it? Are you implementing it? And so I want to give you, as I conclude, Three foundational truths that I believe can help us get rid of some of the excess baggage. 
Number one, you've got to learn to identify it and be honest about it. You've got to say, God, what is the lie in this thing that just has the ability to pull my life and shake it like a, a rag in a dog's mouth? You know, that feeling went, oh, everything's all over. Here are the, the, the truths that, that we need. They're foundational truths that we need to demolish the devil's strongholds, demolish the devil's arguments. Number one, God still loves me. I'd like to put in brackets no matter what, because it's the truth. You see, just about every single one of us, still in some way, despite grace and whatever understand we have, still come to God with a bit of a performance attitude at work. I was good this week, therefore I'm confident in his presence. I messed up and there's a whole lot of stuff and I don't know if I've got the energy to deal with it. And I'm surely he, he's getting sick of me. Surely he's a little bit ticked off with me. Surely, uh, and, and what we do is God, I'm coming back when I fix this. Do you know how stupid that is? I, and I know it's an emotional, instinctive thing. Uh, I'll fix it, and then I'll come to you, because then I'll be good enough for you. He says, you just don't get it. You were never good enough for me, if that's what you're trying to do. That's why I sent my son. That's why I sent Jesus, because you were never good enough. No matter how much you tried, we had all these laws just to prove you were not good enough. Come on, just think of it, the, the whole of the Old Testament, in one sense, can be summarized. Here are all these laws to prove you can't do it. So that we've got to find another way, God says, for us to get this right. Regardless of what you've done, as fresh as just before you came to church, to years ago, to last month, last week, regardless of what you've done, God loves you. Listen to John 3, 16, and I'm reading the message. Uh, God's, uh, we know it more. It's God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It then goes on to say, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, him you might receive life. Listen to how the message puts that. You'll see it's the same essence of what I said. This is how... Much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it is. He came to help. And that's great in the message, it really is. Because even though we ask Jesus for forgiveness and we get salvation and all that, we still kind of feel that God has got an accusing finger. I died for you and look how you messed up. Have you ever had that conversation go in your head? And he says, you need to get out of that. He loves you. And I don't know if we flew, because we're so used to this thing, God sent his son in the world to die for us and he loves us. I love my son, I love my daughter as well, I love both of them. Let me put it to you this way, and this might come home, bring it home. If the only way, and I love you guys, and we're committed to you, and, and I'm not saying that tritely, I only love you. We, we really love this people, this congregation, what God's doing in here. But if the only way we could stay in relationship 
is that I would have to allow my son to die. See you later. I don't want to know you. Now, don't get all offended at that. Just think about that. If the only way we could stay in relationship is that my son had to die, I don't want to know you. It's not worth it to me. But God said, if the only way for me to be in relationship with you is for my son to die, I'll send him. And he didn't come into this world to point an accusing finger. He came so that he could help. Would you ask God for a revelation of how much he loves you? The second thing, and I need to move here, is God can free me. God loves me regardless, but secondly, God can free me. Romans 8 verse 1 to 2. You no longer live under continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation, the spirit of life in Christ. Like a strong wind has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. You may know that. There's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, etc. But just listen to that. Get, get an impact. Jesus sets you free. Listen to Galatians. I want the musicians to come. Galatians 5 and verse 1. This is quite an astonishing verse. As much as you may know, and you've, thanks, sweetie. Glad you're picking up your excess baggage. It is for freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand fast then and do not let yourself be burdened again in a yoke of slavery. Did, did you get that? Do you know why Jesus set you free? So you can be free. Isn't that what that says? It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. We always think God's got a bigger agenda. God's got a purpose. Because we think if, God, if somebody does something nice for us, what do they want? So God, you've done all this for us, what do you want? And he says, if it came down to it, it is just for freedom that I set you free. I want you to be free. Let that blow your mind for a little bit. Yeah, he's got a purpose that, that you will love doing, but you've got to get this freedom thing. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And then he says, take a stand. I'm not going to give up my freedom in Christ. And when I carry all this excess baggage, I'm not free. I'm hampered, I'm hindered, I'm held back. And the final thing is that God will restore me. God will restore you. So many verses, but Psalm 71, verse 20 to 21. He says, you've allowed me to suffer much hardship. What he's saying is, I've been through some stuff. Man, have I been through some stuff. But you will restore me to life again. You will lift me up from the depths of the earth. You will restore me to even greater honor and comfort me once again. You will restore me. You will restore me. There's some brokenness. There's some damage. There's some excess baggage that you go, that's my bag. I actually got all of them that I'm juggling, you know. God will restore you. God will restore you. But it all comes down in the simplicity of what Chrissy said. Broken and hurting and damaged. Don't put superficial band-aids. 
They don't help. Don't act like it's fine. Come to Jesus. Gaze into his eyes. Look into his face. There's only one foundation that is laid, and that is Jesus Christ. That's what you build a life on. The person. Not just the belief system. Not just the truths as wonderful. There's only one thing you build a life on, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, come to me. All you who are weary and are carrying excess baggage, heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Let me stand our feet. Would you spend some time with Jesus and claim your baggage, your excess baggage? So that's what it is, Jesus. Don't go dredging and digging up extra stuff. Let the Holy Spirit just go, that's it, you know. We all have it. Every single one of us has excess baggage. And some of it just won't let go. You seem to get tangled in it. God loves you. He will set you free and he will restore you. But you need to claim the baggage and say, God, I need to deal with this. There's some arguments, there's some reasoning that I need to change. There's some thinking that's got to alter. And I'm going to ask you to help me this year to get rid of that extra baggage in Jesus' name. Just if we can be in an attitude of prayer, I'm almost done. But the most important thing is giving people an opportunity to take that very first step of getting into relationship with Jesus Christ. He is an amazing Savior. I think you might have caught that in the songs and the words that have been spoken this morning and the way we honor Jesus because He's just completely amazing. Here's the thing. God loves you. He never stopped loving you, never will. He's an incredible plan for your life. Sin messes that up. But the good news is Jesus came and died on a cross to remove sin so that you and I could be forgiven and cleansed and start walking with God again. And when you do that, he begins to restore his plan and his purpose for your life. And if you've never ever said to Jesus, based on that, or if you're backslidden away from God, he loves to heal the backslider. Or you've prayed privately, but you've never done it publicly. Now's your moment to say yes to Jesus. Just while we're in this attitude of prayer, if you say yes to Jesus in just a moment, just so that I can help you, I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to drag you out, but I'm going to ask you in just a moment to put your hand up where you are, high enough and long enough, just so that I know to pray for you. I've got one or two people helping me who will come alongside you at the end of the, the service, this final song, and just help you in the decision you're about to make now. But it's your decision, it's your choice. If you say yes to Jesus, just quickly, Raise your hand high enough and long enough for me to see it and know to pray for you. Whether for the first time, renewing a commitment, or just making it public. God loves you. He's got a plan for your life. He'll forgive you and cleanse you of the sin. And He'll begin to restore things back in your life. How many people this morning just go, yep, where I am, I need to get right. Cool. I wonder if we could all just lift our hands to the Lord. Father, we come before you and we really want to be this free that when we lift our hands, there's no excess baggage hanging off. 
And so, Lord, we ask you to help us, firstly, to acknowledge it, to admit to it before you. And help us to then deal with it. And, Lord, I just pray for incredible revelation of how much you love us, how that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom that you want us to live free. And, Lord, that you can restore and you will restore and I speak that over lives that really need to hear that this morning. And we just thank you for your goodness. But we present ourselves, bags and all, to you this morning. We're here to check in at the beginning of this year and say, God, here I am. All of me. Help me. I thank you that you didn't come to point an accusing finger, but that you came to help. And that's what we're asking for. And we give you the honor and the glory in Jesus' name.